It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. Guess I should bring that down. I said, I guess I should bring the music down. Bring it way down. It's hey, down. Good, it's down. Good morning, everyone. And uh, morning. I thought I'd pop the grasshopper up there and blooming uh, spring beauty there, just so people could see what it's like when it's spring. You know, I have to say something though. Um, it has not been a hard winter. Mm-mm. So all you folks who are whining that uh, it's the middle of February and, oh, it's so cold and we can't, when is it going to be spring? I'm like, come on, really? Get over yourself. Well, it is winter. It is hey, winter, yeah. Hey, my, hey. Snowdrops, my snowdrops are up about an inch right now. You know what? I planted snowdrops uh, uh, several years ago and they, they nothing happened. <laughs> So I have to get more, um, but uh, I haven't seen. I haven't even looked to see. Uh, no, I, ha- I had to look. I was like earlier in this week. I said, when, "On one of those days when it was bright and sunny, ooh, I wonder if the snowdrops are out. Go out, move all the leaves where I know there are some." Yes, <laughs> there we go. And I've got uh, the ten thousand sparrows uh, at at all of my feeders with the occasional um, house finch. Well, and I saw something this morning. Uh, at the feeder in front, and it looked like a cardinal. Maybe it was a juvenile cardinal, but it seems a little early for a juvenile cardinal. It, um, well, it, it could had, be one of last year's. A, yeah, it had a crest um, uh, like a cardinal, but it was brownish and smaller than a cardinal. Are there birds like that? Could that... Be just a, a smaller female cardinal, maybe? That's what I was thinking. It looked like a female cardinal, Um but I just wondered if there were maybe other birds that have that kind of crest and, and then, and maybe, you know, a new bird. So, you know, cause I look at my feeder and I see mostly 10,000 sparrows and mm-hmm. pigeons and uh, now the uh, red squirrels or the red tailed squirrels or. Yeah, uh, we're not calling them red squirrels. <laughs> uh, um, no, that's true. We don't do that here uh, on this show. We call them the. Um, <laughs> oh, umber. Uh, right. The ochre. <laughs> Uh, squirrels, as uh, we said the other day. Um, well, so, I'm looking out at juncos. I got juncos, 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 juncos. 
Oh yeah, yeah. the Junkos are in the backyard. Love the Junkos. Uh, they're great. And, um, and I'm still getting red poles and pine siskins. From what I understand, it's been quite the year for them. Um, I wouldn't. They come know. down from Canada and they follow the food. You know, I did see a pine siskin in my yard. Uh, either last year or the year before, and then I, I don't think I've seen one since. Uh, it's harder, tougher down here in the city. You're you're closer to the lake, and you're in Highland mm-hmm. Park, and you know, the, you, you get the high rent birds. I don't get the I get the I get oh. the ten thousand sparrows. If you put thistle out, if you put thistle out, you may attract more of them. Domenico thinks he said titmouse. Possibly. Yep, I was thinking that too. Yeah, tufted. I'm going to, gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to look, um, they're more it. sparrow size. Uh, are, are they? Yeah. Well, this was bigger than a sparrow, smaller than a cardinal. Uh, cedar wax wings, but those are much more of a brown and it's kind of off season for them. <laughs> uh, um, and, and Betsy wants to know why, uh, well, she said, uh, your collection of birds sounds like mine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was trying to know why we don't say red squirrels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the same way we don't wear same reason we don't wear MAGA hats here. All right. That's that's kind of what we're talking about. Uh good morning, everyone. Uh welcome to the show. Uh I'm, oh I have to show you what was on my breakfast plate this morning. It was a look at that. A star, star slinky. A star slinky appeared from somewhere. I don't know. It was uh, a magically on my my breakfast plate here. <laughs> Legata is so smart. Legata just she just yeah. brought me a little gift. Yeah, she, I, I could see her trotting downstairs with a little <laughs> slinky in her mouth and and p- putting it on uh, on the uh, on the plate. Uh, so uh, that was kind of cool. Um, and we've got a lot of great stuff on the show for you today. We're we're talking critters, um, the good kind, the kind that uh, well in my house runs upstairs when when I start the show. And then I don't see again. And you, and of course, you were dealing with uh, the beast uh, just yeah, before. He did not want to. Uh, <laughs> he didn't want to go on the front porch. He wanted to join the show today, probably because of what we're talking about. Yeah, it may be. Um, and uh, and 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 welcome to everybody who's watching us here. Uh, the subscriptions continue to come in, and I'm really pleased at that. We announced last week that we had donated uh, $10,015 to the Save Belbull Prairie Fund. $1,015. I'm sorry, $1,000. Okay, I can hear Kathleen in the kitchen. Not $10,000, not $10,000. We wish it were $10,000. We I wish. wish. I wish. I wish it were. Um but uh, people are still subscribing, and some people who are new to the program, welcome. It's, it's great to have you, and, and you'll see today that uh, we go off in a slightly different direction. We do like to talk about uh, all creatures, great and small, not to coin a phrase, um, and how to care for them and what the, uh, the powers that be are doing to make lives better for those creatures. And that's why we're going to have Ryan Anderson on this morning from Midwest Grows Green, and uh, we're going to have Jody Whitaker uh, from uh, the Chicago Alliance for Animals and talk about several issues I think you're going to be interested in. Uh, Peggy and I are going to do our usual uh, mishmash. Talking about cool stuff. We need a name for that segment we do at 10 o'clock where we go through these various stories because there's some good ones out there. Uh, I'm going to recap my visit to uh, Skokie 
last week to the the board of trustees meeting where they were deciding the fate of the Carvana car dispenser of bird death, um, and which was approved, uh, unfortunately, but uh, it might not be over. The story might not be over yet. Uh, we're going to talk maybe a little bit about what's going on at Bell Bull Prairie. We've got some other stories. Uh, Rick DeMaio, meteorologist, is going to be here uh, to uh, talk to us a, a mo- little bit more about what happens environmentally when you do big-time Olympics. Um, it ain't good, really, no matter how you slice it. It's not good for... It, the, the Olympics have become this albatross that we need to figure out how to fix. It's um, I, I, Honestly, I haven't watched any of it. Not a minute. I know you've been watching it, Peggy, and that's fine. You know, that's obviously you're, it, you're, you know, put on your MAGA hat. It's a free country and you have a right to take a truck and block anything you want. Um, and, uh, but I haven't, I, 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 I don't know. I can't make myself do it. So, uh, but that's well, all. I'm watching the Super Bowl, but that's a different story. Well, see, and I will. Uh, I will, and uh, it, and it is a different Speaking story. Of resource it, issues. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, the whole thing—it's all sports is so big and out of control. We need to figure out how to rein it in, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. So we're kind of stuck with not, not in this two hours. Um, <laughs> not ever in this world, believe me. Okay, so without further ado, let's let's get to the issues at hand and and uh, bring in a friend of the show, Ryan Anderson from Midwest Grows Green. Uh, Ryan, how you doing this morning? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, okay. That's what I was afraid. I thought. Yeah, hold on. Let me get your mic on. I think that's me. Uh, I thought I had it all set up, but it, I didn't. So, all right, here we go. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. And I apologize for that. I'm sorry. Good morning. Morning. Um, Ryan is the uh, IPM manager of Midwest Grows Green. And uh, you just got uh, promoted uh, recently, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, We have a number of community IPM programs. So I'm leading all all three or four of them that we have at the IPM Institute. Great news. And for those of you who don't know, IPM stands for Integrated Pest Management. Um, And that, uh, you know, in a nutshell, the way I always explain it, if uh, folks ask me about it, I say it's a a program that encourages you to uh, take the least toxic solution to a problem first if you're dealing with pests in your garden or your farm or wherever and then work your way to the the most toxic and hope that the least toxic will deal with an issue before you have to get um, down to the dirty stuff. Uh, Do you think that's a fair assessment of that? Yeah, yeah. I say using all the tools in your toolbox and uh, using pesticides as a last resort. So um, we're talking about lawn care a lot, and there's a lot of cultural practices uh, that you can apply before uh, you can resort to a chemical like aeration, overseeding, watering properly, and everything like that. Yeah, and of course, uh, uh, Ryan's been on our program before, and, and generally what we're talking about is um, natural lawn care and how you can do it safely. And gosh, I encourage people to eschew the chemicals and please, um, you don't need them. Yeah. Seriously, you really, you don't need them. And Go. Ryan, and you work with municipalities, park districts, and 
institutional spaces on their property as well. So it's not just homeowners. Yeah, correct. Because um, we think parks and green spaces bring a lot of the groups that we're trying to target. Um, sports and recreational field managers, but also homeowners, um, because they're enjoying these parks. And so we want to ma make sure that they're enjoying these parks without any synthetic pesticides and fertilizers. And that's what we're doing through what we call the technical assistance program or TAP for short, where we're helping a number of different municipalities, park districts, school districts, across the greater Chicago area transition from synthetic pesticides and fertilizers. And what I would say to homeowners, Ryan, is if various parks can do it, if, if, if you know, even the city of Chicago has gone to uh, 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 a more natural kind of lawn care uh, in its parks, if the city of Chicago can do it, what do you do in slamming chemicals on your tiny little plot of land at home? Um, so, um, it, it can be done and there, and it's not that hard and it, it'll save you money. And, and the other thing that we're going to talk about today, it'll keep your pets and your kids and yourself healthy, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the chemicals that is used most frequently in lawn and garden care is called 2,4-D. It's active mm -hmm. in green Scots, turf filter, weed and feed, and uh, most of, uh, the lawn chemicals or pesticides that we're applying. Um, and there's been multiple studies that have linked it to human cancer. It's a possible carcinogen by the International Association for the Research on Cancer, um, but also dogs exposed to 2,4-D and herbicide treated lawns double their chance of contracting canine lymphoma, and certain breeds their chance of contracting bladder cancer increases by four to seven times. Wow. Well, what I would say is 2,4-D, which is 24 dichlorophenoxyacetic acid um and uh i learned that l long ago and you know you just uh some of those things stick with you um is is probably the most toxic chemical that the average homeowner knows the least about everybody is focused on roundup this is the thing mm -hmm. that people know they know mm -hmm. roundup uh, main, mainly because it's got a clever name which they use for marketing but um the the backfire on that is that that's something that's burned into people's brains and they remember so yeah. there needs to be a, a a common name for 24d then people would have that burned in their brain because nobody's got 24d in the front of their mind when they're putting stuff down but when you when you go to a store well let me say first of all weed and feed if if the bag mm -hmm. says weed and feed it means uh, fertilizer and poison, basically. Um, and um, it, it, you don't kill the weeds by accident or by good wishes or by prayer. Um, you kill them with the substances you put in the bag. So I just tell people, don't ever buy a product that's called weed and feed. That's, that's, that's a tip-off right there. Uh, but they're not all weed and feeds don't have 2,4-D. There are other chemicals as well, right, Ryan? Yeah, um, and I, I do think there is one that's organic. I think it's with corn gluten, um, and I think that's – I forgot the company that sells it. But most of them are um, 2,4-D – we call it a three-way herbicide, 2,4-D, dicamba, and MCPP is the other right. uh, chemical. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what, I, what I urge people to do – and that's a really good point – that some uh, companies tout corn gluten meal – as an organic herbicide. Now, mm -hmm. in my research, and you might disagree with me, Ryan, as far as I can tell, the jury is still out on corn gluten meal. 
first of all, you have to apply it at exactly the right time under exactly the right conditions. Um, and what it does, it prevents seeds from germinating, not just weed seeds, all seeds. So mm-hmm. you can't put corn gluten meal down and then seed your lawn with uh, grass seed because it'll prevent that from germinating too under the right conditions. The problem is you have to do it exactly at the right time in the spring, which makes it difficult uh, to do. And a lot of people are not going to take the care to do that exactly right. Uh, but what I urge folks to do is when, you, when you're buying products, any product for your, your uh, lawn or garden, read the label, see what's on there. And if you don't, if don't recognize a name, look it up. You've got your phone with you usually. You just go boop, 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 yeah. and you can find that out. Um, Don't just remember the commercial you saw and look for <laughs> yeah. that brand. Yeah. yeah. So, um, that's, so that's, that is the, the quick, that is the starter's guide. Well, you're going to be, uh, well, let's get into the, uh, uh, the event that you're holding a week from today on February 20th. It has to do with what we're talking about right now, but, but you wouldn't guess it from the title it's called hounds and grounds um and it's from 10 a.m to 5 p.m uh and you've got some great sponsors uh including uh hawk city canine uh the pet fund um and athletic brewing company and Mm -hmm. okay i didn't warn you about this but here we go here's (laughs) this this is athletic brewing company they it's na na craft beer yep uh, this is I'm telling you, this is one of the best non-alcoholic beers I have ever tasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I grabbed this out of my refrigerator this morning because I stock it here. Um, yeah. It is called Run Wild. And if you want a good IPA that tastes like an IPA, some, I've noticed that some... They, they have a good amber, too. They make a uh, good amber and a good stout. I haven't been able to find their amber at uh, my... I know that's where I go. That's where I get this. Oh. I haven't been able to find the amber at my binnies. Um, I'll have to keep trying. Uh, but I, I actually do get another amber. Um, but um, one of the things uh, I, I've noticed about non-alcoholic beers, a lot of them taste like strong tea. And you go, well, that's that's mm. not really good. But this. That's, those are the old ones. Yeah. This is this is robust. And uh, I, I'm going to have to zap this when I... Um, uh, send this uh, show out to uh, my uh, low frequency FM stations because uh, no product placement, no product placement. Uh, but they're also they're one of the sponsors of Hounds and Grounds. So tell us what what is Hounds and Grounds and, all and of- also oh. Canine Therapy Court. Oh, I'm sorry. It, yeah, it's going to be at Canine Therapy Court. So uh, so mm-hmm. all these people are involved, and there are more as well. So uh, give us a preview of that, uh, Ryan. Yeah, so Athletic is our main sponsor for this event, but um, it's called Hounds and Grounds, and it's at Canine Therapy Corps, which is in the Logan Square neighborhood, um, and it's raising awareness for rising uh, canine cancer rates uh, across the United States. So uh, we have Stacy Hawk, who is an experienced dog agility course instructor, and she's going to uh, take all the dog dogs through an introductory dog agility course. It'll be for about 30 minutes or so. And then that'll be followed up with a natural lawn care presentation from myself, as well as good nature, organic lawn care, uh, just talking about how you can reduce the risks of herbicides as well as lawn fertilizers uh, for dogs and uh, other pets. And so all this work is supporting our technical assistance program. So all the funds will go towards our 
our work uh, helping parks eliminate their synthetic pesticides and fertilizers use. And then we're also sharing uh, more natural lawn care information with the communities that are living by all these parks uh, to just protect more pets, people, as well as pollinators. All right. Before the show, I was uh, I was talking to the two of you and asking you and Peggy, uh, what the heck is a dog agility course and why should a dog take it? Um, uh, can you give us a, uh, a, an answer to that, Ryan? And I know Peggy, you were looking it up a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. Um, to the best of my ability, cause I'm actually not a dog ag- owner, but, um, St- Stacy Hawk, uh, she does these, uh, dog agility to give, uh, both the pets as well as, um, their owners, you know, some physical activity, especially out in the winter, but, um, she does these agility courses throughout the year. Um, and it's a lot of uh, technical training, uh, kind of to improve the connection between the owner and the dog. And so the agility course, it's going to be pretty introductory, but there's going to be some jumps that uh, they're going to help the dogs go through and as well as, um, you know, some hoops and stuff like that. Um, so it's a really great opportunity to get exercise for your dog as well as for yourself and just to kind of improve your connection with, with your uh, furry animals. Yeah, and I, it also it, uh, gives dogs the opportunity to do something different, kind of stretches their capabilities, exercises their mind as well as their body. It's part of the, the point, too. And this is a yeah. really smart thing you're doing, which is get folks in um, to do something good for their dogs, but they can do something good for their dogs by getting rid of the chemicals on their lawn. I mean, you need to explain to them some of the things we've been talking about right here is how dangerous this can be. And it's not just your dogs. It's your cats. It's your kids. It's you. Um, studies show it's that the wildlife in your yard that are right, walking the, across it too. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, you know, we were talking about birds earlier, you don't want to uh, pesticides kill a lot of birds in this country uh, every year, um, somebody was writing the other day on um, when we were talking about uh, the Carvana Tower in Skokie about how many birds would slam into that. And somebody said, well, what about wind turbines? And wind turbines are like way down on the list. Yes, they kill birds, probably a million a year. But cats kill over two billion birds a year and windows kill half a billion birds a year and pesticides are in like the 50 to 60 million birds range per year. So pesticides are a big deal. And again, the point I want to make is it for the average homeowner, and I'm talking that the average homeowner, you don't need this stuff. You really don't. And uh, Ryan, you teach all the time about how to do natural lawn care. And it's, and it's, you know, the same old stuff, mow high, overseed, add compost, core aerate, um, water uh, infrequently but deeply, boom, done. That's, that's, that's kind of the whole trick, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely for home lawns too because uh, most of the time when we're dealing with uh, problems on sports fields and stuff like that, it is with foot com- or soil compaction, and you're not going to get a lot of soil compaction on your home lawns because it's just not receiving that much foot traffic. So if you can reduce that soil compaction, allow those air, water, nutrients to get in and out of that soil profile, you should be able to grow healthy grass without any synthetic chemicals. Yeah. And um, uh, one of the things you guys report, and by the way, go to my website, uh, mikenovak.net. I've got 
a lot of links um, to uh, this, including the link uh, to uh, how to register for Hounds and Grounds. And, and we'll get to that in, in a second because you can only have so many people there, obviously, in uh, a few hours that you're, you're doing it. Um, but one of the things you report is that nearly half of dogs over the age of 10 will develop cancer. Um, mm-hmm. And one in four under the age of 10 will develop cancer. That's, that's kind of a... a um, and the cancer rates are going up. It's the other side of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's not a good thing, uh, and it makes me wonder whether are we using uh, are we are are we getting away from the chemical use, or is it just becoming worse? Um, well, unfortunately, I just read an article last week from EcoWatch that showed that uh, the use of two four D between two thousand twelve and two thousand twenty in our nation went up by seventy percent. Um, so yikes. Uh, that was the first time that I saw that statistic and that was kind of jarring. Of course, that's not just solely lawn care. That's also agriculture too. Um, but um, that's, that's a kind of shocking one. And also rates in, uh, they did urine samples uh, for people in that study. And they, in 2001, 2002, their urine rates was about 17% they found to 4D. In 2014, they found it in 40% of people uh, that they tested in that survey. So unfortunately, rates uh, for 2,4-D use is going up, and uh, that's also, that's likely one contributing factor to the rise in canine cancer, as well as uh, rise in cancer in people. Too. Yeah, one thing I want to point out is that, uh, and, and, I, and if I mention this again, I apologize, but it bears repeating. Studies are showing that that stuff ends up in your home. Okay, uh, you think a lot of say, folks say, well, it's in the yard. You know, I'll just keep the kids off the yard, which is dumb anyway, because kids like to roll in grass, as dogs like to roll in grass. Um, or adults. Or adults, yes. Or cats or whatever, whatever critters are out there. Rolls and whatever is in your yard. But yeah. you know what? That stuff gets in your home. It, it comes in. Your dogs bring it in. Your cats bring it in. You bring it in, in. your feet bring it in, and guess where it goes? It goes onto your rugs and onto your carpet. Um, And how often does it rain? You know, outside, you can rain and wash some of that stuff away. How often does it rain indoors on your carpet? And how often do you Mm -hmm. wash your carpets and your rugs? Um, Your pets are down low and the people sitting are playing on the floor or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. So this is stuff to, uh, to keep in mind. So let's talk about the logistics of um, Hounds and Grounds. Uh, it's, uh, as I mentioned before, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, how, how are the segments going to work, Ryan? Yeah, so we have four one-hour and 30-minute segments. Um, the first one at 10 a.m. is already filled up, um, and there's two spots left for the second one. Um, and basically, we're going to split them up into groups of five. Uh, so five will go through the agility course, five will uh, go through my natural lawn care presentation, and then we'll switch them out uh, to uh, the agility course and vice versa. And then um, at, at the end, uh, there's some uh, refreshments from Athletic Brewing Company, as well as some food from Trader Joe's and coffee from Dark Matter. Um, and we have uh, some goodie bags of actually upcycled burlap bags from uh, Dark Matter coffee um that were were created and those goodie bags will include dog food uh people food and some other um uh, uh goodies for 
for the attendees. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I had to uh, pop up the the graphic here. Um, you've got um, uh, a lot, as I mentioned before, a lot of great sponsors on it, um, and uh, and among them, let me go to to this uh, sheet. Here we are. Uh, as you mentioned, Athletic Brewing Company. Um, PetSmart, Good Nature Organic Lawn Care, Jiminy's, uh, Beatrix, Streeterville, Schreiber Foods, Chipotle, Dark Matter Coffee, Trader Joy's, and Six Point Pet. That's a pretty Joe's. good... Trader Joe's. What? What did I say? Trader Joy. Trader Joe's? Well, it's whatever. Uh, same thing. And, uh, and, the, and the, the pet fund. And, and of course, is, the pet fund. What is the pet yeah. fund? Yeah, so the pet fund, um, some of the funds from Rays are going to go to the pet fund. They provide uh, financial assistance to uh, families for veterinary care. And uh, th they were kind of the inspiration behind this event because um, when they started in the 90s, about 20% of their uh, requests were for ca uh, cancer uh, treatment. And now uh, last year, it was about 60% of their requests uh, were for cancer treatment. And to put that in perspective, they get about 70,000 requests per year. And uh, treatment for canine cancer can reach up to $10,000. So um, it's it's wow. a large problem uh, as we're continuing to try to treat uh, canine cancer. So we're trying to help to prevent canine cancer as much as possible. Look, folks, a uh, dog might get canine cancer. Why, why make it worse? Why, why give uh, another source uh, of a cancer, uh, have another source uh, uh, available to, uh, to, your, to your beloved pets? Uh, very quickly before we go, um, this is just the start of things. We're, we're getting into the growing season in another month, month and a half. Um, and what is uh, Midwest Grows Green going to be doing? Uh, yeah, so part of this is going to be a supporting our technical assistance program, and we're, we are helping a number of communities, but uh, we're on our first year for three communities right now, um, for the City of Lake Forest, the Clarence Hills Park District, and the River Forest Park District, and we're helping them transition uh, one space, so one space away from synthetic pesticides and fertilizers, a very highly trafficked space. And so uh, we're going to be helping them do that, and we're going to be sharing with the local communities uh, all the work that goes into transitioning these fields away from synthetic pesticides and fertilizers. So that's through our technical assistance program. Um, and then one thing, last thing I want to mention is Good Nature Organic Lawn Care is going to be Green Shield certified, um, which is going to be a certification for IPM as well as organic landscaping. So it's a very rigorous um, certification that is run by the IPM Institute of North America. Um, and they're going to be piloting that uh, certification that we're hoping that certification will go across the nation. Um, so uh, be on the lookout for that in May of this year. And I'm glad you're working with them. They've been on the show uh, a couple of times. So in fact, we, I think we got to have them back and, and talk about uh, natural lawn care techniques Ryan Anderson from Midwest Grows Green. Uh, if you want more information, go to MidwestGrowsGreen.org. Simple enough. Uh, or you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net. I've got all the information up on the blog for today's show. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking again. It's always a pleasure to have you on board. Yep. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Ryan. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking more about pets when we come back. 
from spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. So this is a very simple PAR meter, and I'm going to measure the PAR value of this fluorescent light, which was purchased at a Home Depot specifically for growing um, and advertised as a seed starting light, minimally for PAR value for just seed starting. So just to the seedling stage, you want a minimum of 80, really. Um, 75 to 100 will do the trick. I would say 100 to 150 is far better. Um, but right now, at about a foot above the plants, uh, we're getting 49. So now we're going to, let me plug in our happy leaf light. This is our 17-inch Procyon 2.0, um, and it's a really great all-around light. Um, they also come in 33-inch lights, which I have set up here, which is where I'm going to actually put my seed flat. Let's get it about a foot over. I'm getting a value of 335. I don't really have a favorite tree specifically. Trees are so different and at different ages they have different things that make them interesting. Scott's pine trees have fantastic bark. The giant redwood is fantastic again because of the bark and the size of it. My name is Gary Hill and trees are my thing. But I'm also into shrubs. Keep calm and prune on. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I got caught there a little bit because I was looking at some of the comments coming over the chat. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I want to mention about the chat really quickly is um, <clears throat> we can respond to most of your comments if you're on the Mike Novak Show on Facebook, meaning... Uh, the Mike Novak Show Facebook page, if you and on YouTube and YouTube, and if you go to YouTube or the Mike Novak Show on Facebook, you can see our responses. If you're watching the show at my personal page, Mike Novak, um, you can't see our comments coming back, um, and it makes me think I might be um, discontinuing streaming to that page. So think about that. Think about migrating over to YouTube or the Mike Novak Show. Uh, on Facebook, uh, also on Twitter, and I don't think we can respond to the Twitter comments don't even either. See the Twitter comments coming uh, through. So, I've been I've been working with Restream this week just to see what's going on, but uh, uh, oh well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's limitations. There's everybody's 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 got a ceiling. <laughs> Facebook has a ceiling. Restream has a ceiling. Twitter has a ceiling. They all have ceilings. Ah. And uh, so anyway, I was looking at some of the comments. Um, uh, Barbara wrote about Ryan. He, he has been instrumental in changing the mindset of Elmhurst residents. I like to hear that. Uh, Dan Costa says, 
uh, in regard to pesticides. Always the least toxic first. The less pesticide use, the better. High toxic chemicals are usually not needed, as I said here. I'm glad you agree with me, Dan. And uh, Skeet said there are lawn applications that, that can have a negative effect on trees. Yikes. And yes, that's the other thing. You want to protect your other plants. You put some, some of this stuff down. Don't try growing vegetables if you're putting 2,4-D in your lawn. Yeah. So um, it's something to... Or if to, your neighbor to, is. <clears throat> and Shelly just says, get rid of grass lawn. Hey, that gets a ding. Uh, for me, uh, when I, you know, my, my theory on lawns, when in doubt, rip it out. So, okay. And look at the Jody, sorry to, uh, to make you sit through that, but uh, uh, it's all part of this conversation and welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Um, Jody Whitaker, of course, is with uh, Chicago Alliance uh, for Animals. Um, she's uh, founder of the partnership to ban horse carriages worldwide. And guess what? She was successful in Chicago. I mean, we're uh, more than a year now since the uh, carriage horses left Chicago. How do you feel about that? I'm ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just down on Michigan Avenue on Thursday for an event, and uh, it's just nice going down there and not seeing the horses just standing there and being exploited in the freezing cold or the hot summer. Yeah. Um, and uh, your group w- was instrumental in getting them uh, to go away, uh, documenting every day the conditions under which those horses were working, and they were working hard. Um, and you were finally able to get city council to uh, ban the horse carriage trade in Chicago. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, but now you're, you're kind of moving on to, to the next chapter. Um, and one of the the the, the uh, issues that you you want to deal with now, uh, and we'll talk about several of these, but um, it kind of starts with uh, the law to ban puppy mills in the state of Illinois, and and eventually you want to get to the point where there are no sales of animals. Is that correct? That's correct. Well, why yeah. why is that bad? I mean, there, I'm I'm sure there are people out there who are going to say. What's wrong with uh, buying a cat or a dog? Uh, Tell us what is wrong with that. Well, what it comes down to is when you go to a pet store to buy an animal, uh, often you are not educated on how to care for that animal, what the animal needs, uh, nor are they educating uh, potential buyers about how long a cat or a dog or a tortoise or whatever animal might live and that it should be a lifetime commitment. Uh, most uh, pet stores, as long as you have the money or credit card to buy, that's all you need. Uh, whereas when you adopt from a reputable animal shelter or rescue, uh, there are people who educate potential adopters about all those things. And so there's a very good chance that that animal might live his or her full life with their adopt- adopting family and have a good uh, life. Uh, when animals are bought, Many are dumped when the family either realizes that it's too much trouble or too much money or too much care, or the child no longer wants the animal. So they'll either dump them at our Chicagoland animal shelters or dump them in the forest preserve. So um, it's really important that um, animals are seen as sentient beings and not, you know, like furniture, material goods. Well, 
I'm sure there are folks out there who are going to say, well, wait a second, I, how do I get a purebred then? I mean, I don't want a mutt. I want, I, you know, I love mutts, by the way. I think mutts are, are the best. Um, but, um, you know, what about those folks? Uh, how are they going to get uh, their animals? Well, there are rescue groups all over the country uh, specializing in specific breeds. So if, if you want a specific breed, you can just go online and look up, you know, a boxer rescue or whatever mm-hmm. breed you're looking for. Um, and that's the way to go about it is to work with rescues and reputable animal shelters to, uh, to find the uh, perfect companion for you. Well, uh, to that end, uh, I know that you've been fighting the battle in Chicago to end the sale of dogs and cats in uh, in pet stores yeah um and last year um two things happened the city of chicago tightened up its rules because it was a loophole in their puppy mill bill uh but more importantly the state of illinois stepped up and passed the humane pet store bill hb 1711 uh it was signed into law by governor pritzker in august of last year. Some people might not know it. And what they also might not know is that it goes into effect in about two weeks. Um, what is that bill going to do, Jody? Well, that will stop the sale of cats and dogs and puppies and kittens from being uh, bought from animal uh, pet stores. Uh, so people will actually have to adopt cats or dogs instead of being able to just go buy one at any store. Uh, no reputable breeder will ever sell to an uh, to a pet store, and so this this bill will help save animals, and it will also help our animal shelters in in the state of Illinois, uh, and put less pressure on them because we'll be getting those dogs and cats out of shelters and into good homes instead of having to euthanize because there aren't enough cages or aren't enough homes. So, Jody, for our listeners who might not know what a puppy mill is, could you explain that term? Sure. Um, well, they're not so much in uh, Chicago land or the state of Illinois, but a lot of puppy mills are in, say, Missouri, Iowa, Pennsylvania, and they are basically, uh, you know, these big farms where dogs live in horrific com- conditions, um, oftentimes in wire cages in all temperatures uh, in the bitter cold in the heat of the summer. Um, Often uh, when the puppies, uh, they impregnate the mothers over and over again so they can get litters of puppies. And those puppies are the ones that are sent to Chicago or to uh, the pet pet stores for people to buy. And so um, when you go to these places to uh, see their puppies, uh, the, the bad parts of these places are hidden. They take you into a, an area where everything looks nice and good, mm-hmm. but in the back, and there's been major or, animal rights organizations that have exposed these uh, puppy mills, and uh, you see these animals and these mother dogs who are just have been impregnated over and over again, living just miserable lives, especially when dogs are, you know, companion animals who who crave attention and they're living Mm -hmm. in cages all alone with uh, no enrichment and and oftentimes not even the basic necessities. Uh, You mentioned before reputable breeders. Is there such a thing? Well, 
The way I look at it is as long as animals are still being euthanized because there aren't enough homes or there aren't enough um, cages and those shelters, I don't think anybody should be breeding dogs or breeding cats. I think everybody should be getting their, you know, companion animals. I mean, if you need, if you need an animal, there's one out there for you. Uh, so when we get to a day where animals are not being put down because there aren't enough homes, then maybe that's something we can look at, but I don't really think it's a good thing right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something that, you know, something you should consider then when you're, uh, when you want to get an animal is, is you can give an animal in a shelter a good home and believe me you're not going to care exactly once you fall in love with that yeah. animal you're you're not going to care what breed it is or whether it's a mutt and it doesn't have to be cute little puppies and kittens either senior dogs senior cats very often make wonderful wonderful homes. companions yeah yeah and a lot of times the the animals that do come from breeders um they have a lot of issues, you know, a lot of medical issues oftentimes uh, from being overbred. So I definitely recommend adoption over buying from a breeder. And also you're going to pay a minimal adoption fee that's going to cover the spay or neuter and the medical care, as opposed to paying thousands of dollars to someone who profits off of uh, letting animals reproduce. And uh, getting back to uh, the bill that got passed, um, I, I, my attention was drawn to this last week when I saw a post uh, by Mark Ayers from the, the Humane Society. Uh, he's, he's the, the Illinois, Illinois director director of the Humane Society. Uh, and, and he's, he's been on this program several times, too, in the past. Well, and, and he's my hero. I mean, <laughs> this, this is – Mark Ayers is one tough dude. Okay, you do not mess with Mark Ayers, and I, I know he's gotten death threats, uh, it, which just astounds me. He's okay? had a lot of memes lately up about him. He posted that that people are putting memes up about him, and oh yeah, they doctor photos and they accuse yeah. him of you know raking in cash because he's he's putting the puppy mills out of business and just stupid stuff, and and obviously fake stuff and that's why he's my hero because he just he shrugs and says uh these people are idiots and um and uh the problem is you don't want them to be dangerous idiots um so i saw he had posted something a lot of money in the industry yes well and that's the point is that we have this guy um state representative will davis a democrat from homewood introduced a measure that would allow pet shop operators to sell dogs from a, quote, verified breeder uh, in state or out of state. Um, and uh, the DuPage County board member, Brian Krzyzewski, said no reputable breeder would ever sell their animals to a store. You just said that, Jody. Um, and, and this is the last gasp of the puppy mill industry to stop this bill, but it ain't going to happen because in two weeks it goes into effect. Um, it becomes law in Illinois, but it's just discouraging to see a Democrat um, doing this um, and uh, and trying to to gut. It would gut this bill because if you're getting um, puppies from out of state, then Illinois has no say. They have no juris- jurisdiction over puppies uh, and and what and how they're being bred out of state. So the only way you stop this is say you can't come into Illinois, and sooner or later, if all the states say that. We're only the fifth state to to have a puppy mill bill. 
Um, and that's discouraging too, isn't it? Very much so. I mean, we can't, we, when we were working on the Chicago, trying to close that loophole in Chicago to, to get the bill that passed in 2014 uh, to go into effect and to be enforced, um, there were officials who said, well, you can't, you're not going to stop the puppy mills. Well, we can't, you know, Illinois lawmakers can't shut down a puppy mill in Iowa, but we can stop the supply, supply and demand, which is how it all works. So it's a matter of, you know, stopping and banning the sale here in Illinois and other states. And if other states start passing these humane measures, then the puppy mills will start to uh, have to shut down because they're not going to be able to sell their puppies to these other states. And and that's that's the whole idea, which takes us to the to other animals and one of the yeah, things that I, I was, and i was going to ask and i as we transition into the rest of the conversation is there any hope for future bills in the you know, relatively near future for other animals rabbits especially um which are huge springtime easter people get the rabbits they give them up for adoption and birds and it, is there other bills in in the works like a puppy mill ban well, um, in in this in Chicago, the bill does include, or the law, I should say, does include rabbits. Unfortunately, the Illinois state bill does not. But um, I know Mark and the Humane Society of the United States will be, I'm sure, working on these, you know, just progressing with these issues. Um, and Chicago Alliance for Animals, obviously, is a very small grassroots organization compared to uh, Mark's organization. But we are definitely trying to uh, also work on these issues and try to ban the sale of animals uh, currently in the uh, village of Lincolnwood, which is just on the north board, northwest border of Chicago. Yeah, that, that takes us to that conversation about all animals. Um, part of the problem is that, uh, as we mentioned before, a lot of people don't know how to handle a rabbit or a hedgehog or something else that they might... Per- some of the, Or, or the rab- don't know where it came from and wouldn't buy it if they did. Right. Um, that's, that is a disturbing part of it. And I got a couple of links there that you sent me, uh, Jody, and I appreciate it, um, about where the animals, wild animals come from. Uh, sometimes they are from the wild and there are black markets, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and these animals and then end up in these stores and people don't know the origins. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, in, in, in the middle of the sixth great mass extinction, uh, we can't be doing this to animals across the world. Yeah, and a lot of animals, uh, you know, the animals that end up at these pet stores are the lucky ones um, until they're abandoned, which probably happens on a very regular basis. But the animals that are being smuggled into pet stores, um, there are many who suffer and die in transit because it is a black market for exotic birds and exotic uh, reptiles. Um, and these are wild animals. They shouldn't be living in cage, living in the wild. Uh, so there is a store in Lincolnwood that we are hoping and working with village officials to try to get him to change his business model to sell only uh, supplies, pet food, pet treats, pet toys, and stop selling live beings. Um, and, and let me show, uh, this is a... Um... Uh, a video that you sent me that you took of a tortoise. We're outside 
The and we can talk that. about that as, as we're watching this. Uh, when did you take this video? Um, I believe this was uh, a couple weeks ago um, at the annuary. And this tortoise, um, who we believe is uh, 30 to 40 years old or so, um, just continually uh, walks around this small cage and tries to climb up on the edge, which is tile, which has got to be a little slippery. And um, she constantly just falls and hits her neck and her head, her chin on, uh, on the tile. And we've never once seen her have water in her enclosure or her or prison is what I call it. Um, she never has water. We've alerted the Illinois Department of Agriculture. We've alerted um, the police and Lincolnwood officials. The owner says that uh, they don't drink a lot of water, that they get their water through produce. And that may be true. But we've also communicated with a woman who runs a tortoise sanctuary in um, Iowa who says that wild animals should have fresh water at all times. And she said that the hay that they're using as bedding here uh, is very dry and dusty. And so it's so important that she has fresh water at all times, uh, should she want to drink it. And it's just very sad. Another thing that uh, the founder of the sanctuary told us that if a tortoise is constantly trying to climb the perimeter of her enclosure, that means she's feeling trapped and stressed. And this uh, spur is her name, could live to be 100 years old. And that is no life for an animal to live in basically a big bathtub. And there's and there's actually a history with Spur. Apparently Spur was kidnapped um, back in 2011, and then they discovered her in a yard not very far away. Uh, so this is a, a very interesting tortoise. And I'm looking at the letter that the, the expert sent you um, and, um, she wrote, uh, sulcata tortoises are one of the most difficult tortoise species to keep in colder climates due to their size and enclosure requirements. Although it's hard to say how large is large enough, the tortoise's behavior should tell you if you've provided an adequate site. Um, and, and that's kind of what, uh, you're, you're looking at. Um, so, uh, and that's not the only uh, animal at that store that you're concerned about. You mentioned before um, rabbits, and um, I was unaware that there was such a huge problem with rabbits. There's another store, the Red Door, which is actually down the road from it's a shelter. Yeah, it's a shelter, um, and uh, and and a lot of those rabbits end up getting dumped there. But rabbits also get dumped in forest preserves and other places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, executives from Red Door have uh, testified before L Lincoln Woods Village officials and and the fact that they get so many rabbits dumped um, and, and, you know, abandoned at their uh, animal sh shelter that were bought from the animal store. So the owner sells these animals. He makes a profit and then his, his he washes his hands of it. And then taxpayers who help fund or, you know, donors who help fund this animal shelter have to bear the brunt and, and, you know, and then finding homes for all these rabbits. So, um, and then we also have uh, been in connection with a woman who runs a hedgehog rescue and she has the same exact story that she always gets calls from people who want to 
give her their hedgehog that they bought from uh, this store in Lincolnwood. And um, they do this uh, it's in terms of the rabbits at Easter, you know, oh, wouldn't this be fun? I'm going to get the kids a rabbit. And then they realize that it's much more difficult to keep than they right. thought. And now they're scrambling or they don't scramble. They just dump it someplace, which is, is cruel um, and unnecessary because you really, if, if you can't handle it and you know you can't handle it, don't buy impulse, don't buy impulse pets. I mean, that's just, that's the weirdest thing ever. That's why animal sales should be banned because you can't, there are always going to be people who want a rabbit at Easter time, or they want a, you know, a puppy at Christmas to buy for their girlfriend or boyfriend. Unless that person is willing to make a lifetime commitment, which is what shelters and rescues screen people for, then you shouldn't. You know, animals are not toys. They're not something you can play with for six months and then just abandon. They're living beings. So that's the importance of the ban on animal sales, because there's never going to be a time where everybody's going to say, oh, I'm going to make a lifetime commitment. I'm going to realize that this cat might live to be 22 years old. And I'm going to, if I move cross country, this cat goes with me. So that's the importance of of these uh uh, different towns realizing that animals are not things and they shouldn't be sold. Uh, and this uh, store can uh, do just fine selling uh, everything but the animals. Uh, and there's a board meeting coming up this Tuesday, I believe, right? In Lincolnwood? Yep. And they will be discussing our campaign on Tuesday night. Are you, uh, what, what is the vibe you're getting from uh, the trustees. I looked at uh, an article. I saw an article about a board meeting that was, I believe, in December, and it seemed like there's uh, some uh, the, the receptivity, yeah, receptivity to to your issue. Uh, I believe I believe uh, we are educating them um, every two every two weeks. Every other Tuesday, we are testifying, and we have. Um, volunteers, executives, board members from Red Door, from the Hedgehog Sanctuary, um, from, you know, just people who've seen Spurs videos, who've seen her in this cage, um, who are just horrified at the life that she has to live and exist. Uh, So, um, you know, I hope we are reaching them. Um, We want to make sure that they don't just opt into the Cook County law, which is to um, not allow the sale of rabbits because that won't help spur that won't help the foxes and the um sugar gliders if if i might interrupt for a second yeah that's the argument they're making is like uh well we will just follow the cook county law uh and uh you want you want uh more than that oh yeah yeah uh we want spur to go to sanctuary she deserves uh room to roam. She deserves uh, fresh water every day. I mean, at all times. And she deserves to live a more natural existence than living in a bathtub in, in a window in, in Chicagoland. Uh, she should, they say that her, she should have ambient temperatures of like 80 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, we just saw that she got two uh, heat lamps because of our work. Um, but we saw that they went off when the uh, lights, when they were closing at six or six or 7 PM. So yeah, we, uh, we want 
animals to be adopted and not bought. Uh, what about the argument that you're going to put pet stores out of business if you do this? There are pet stores all over Chicagoland that sell uh, an- animal uh, food. They sell cat litter. They sell treats. They sell toys. They sell bedding. Uh, and I have a friend who owns a, um, a pet supply store, and she does just fine. So, uh, and we would even work with the owner if he does, you know, change the business model from not selling animals to just selling supplies. I'd be happy to shop there, but I won't be shopping there until the sale of animals is banned. And I know many people who are feeling the same way that they don't shop there because of the animal exploitation that they see every day. If folks want to get involved, how do they do that? Uh, please uh, check out the Chicago Alliance for Animals on Facebook. Um, that's the best way to reach us. Uh, we do have a website, but uh, if you want to get involved, uh, send us a message on Facebook. Uh, we also are on Twitter at Shy Animal Rights, so it's at CHI Animal Rights. And uh, you're um, starting a petition uh, to get. Uh... You're on Instagram too, right, Jody? We are on Instagram. Uh, yep, Chicago Alliance for Animals, and we do have a petition. Uh, to um, free spur. Uh, last I checked, we're we're around a thousand signatures, and we also have business endorsements that we're asking any business um, that supports a sale a ban on the sale of animals to sign. So we we have Red Door has signed. Um, we have uh, numerous veterinarians who've signed, and um, you know I just started the uh, endorsements recently, but. Those will add up, and uh, it'll it'll be thousands, if not millions, of people who want to see a ban on the sale of animals. I need to read one thing to you. Um, we posted a preview of this program uh, the other day, and and somebody commented, uh, "You are compassionate people who clearly speak with intelligence and a focus on leading everyone to realize their full potential by helping make this planet a better place for all species." Thank you, Mike Novak, Peggy Malecki, and Jody Whitaker. CAA is an excellent organization to join uh, to do easy one-minute daily actions that bring results. So that was a a nice comment to see uh, on our YouTube channel. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Jody, always a pleasure to have you on. Um, Good luck in your work. Um, It's a long uphill battle. Yes, it is. And we'll keep pushing. Uh, Thank you again. Uh, Nice talking to both of you. All right. Have a great Sunday. Um, It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about a little little of this and uh, stuff, right? (laughs) A little of this and a little of that. We'll be right back. Well, it doesn't get much better than this. This is a 150-year-old American elm. Its canopy gives some of the best viewing points of the Nantucket Harbor. You just need to climb to the top for the best view. My name is Jim Cook. I'm an arborist in the Nantucket, Massachusetts office. I have the pleasure of taking care of this beautiful elm. Back in 2006, I had just been hired to be an IPM tech and climber for the Bartlett Tree Experts Company. During the winter of 2006, I had the opportunity to climb and prune this elm. It was a difficult and challenging job. I have climbed it a few times since, and each time is a very fantastic experience. And the best part, when working the east side of the canopy, 
the views of the harbor in Brent Point Lighthouse become epic. I will be the first to tell you that I love my job. I love being an arborist in a beautiful place like Nantucket. It's awesome. It is trees like this that stand out in my mind as the primary reason I chose arboriculture as a profession. But this elm in particular is my favorite tree and I just wanted to share that with you. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones four and five. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. Give me stuff that I can bring. And welcome back, folks. Um, looking at uh, some of the uh, comments on the chat, um, the, it's, it's great to have... Uh, these these folks uh commenting um uh, linda wrote all our cats are rescue i know that turtle she writes um bunny lover uh wrote uh my daughter and son-in-law just adopted a full-grown french lop that had been abandoned in barrington with a head of cabbage to sustain him now i don't know what a lop is do you it's a type of rabbit how did you know that I have no idea. Um, and uh, they figure he was adopted as a cute little kitten and then dumped when he got to be 11 pounds and aggressive. The House Rabbit Society in Wheaton is a good place to adopt rabbits from. Okay. And, uh, oh, yeah. And Dan loves that uh, the shot of the old elm in uh, the harbor there. I mean, did you see how far up he was on that? <laughs> um uh those Bartlett guys uh they know their stuff but uh wow you you can't be afraid of heights if you want to be an arborist um and that's something you have to take into consider well i it, i suppose there are arborists who don't climb um there's a lot of work to be done not just at the top of trees but at the base of trees as well and in the labs and mm-hmm all the other places they, but that, yeah, I, I had to, to play that because that is just an amazing, amazing tree. So, uh, okay. Interesting. Um, Lop oh. rabbits have ears down instead of up. Yeah, I was, that's, that's what I was thinking. Oh, the, is, rabbits, the, it, the rabbits that look like, um, basset hound ears. Got it. Now that makes sense. Um, I just saw this comment. Uh, wow. Um, 
Uh, Which one? The Frustrated Atheist. Ah. Appreciate you had Lake County Forest Preserve on there, possibly selling 43 acres of forest preserve to expand Waukegan Airport. I did hear about that. Yeah, someone mentioned that another week on the show. This needs to be brought to the public's attention. We'll we'll take a look at it and see. Uh, I from what I understand, I thought there was going to be a swap, and and that's all. I don't know a lot about it from what I remember. What was going on is that, but um, I want to get back to um, last week. Uh, it seems like a, a year ago since last Monday. <laughs> no, Dan, Dan's Costa's comment. I love trees, but afraid of heights. That's part of why I grow bonsai. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Not a lot of height there in those bonsai. Yeah, really. So you don't have to climb too high. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, since Monday, uh, when uh, I went out to uh, Skokie Village Hall and the yeah. Board of Trustees meeting, uh, which was packed. Which was this amazing. Or the Carvana Tower. Yeah, the Carvana Tower proposal. Um, and I've learned a lot of stuff since then. Uh, first of all, on Monday, I learned about the dignity and intelligence of the people who comment, who, who came out on a cold night and waited through a meeting that didn't start until 8 p.m., uh, finished, I think, about 12.30. Uh, yeah, the vote was at 11.55. Um, and uh, it uh, they all stood patiently in line, made tremendously insightful and moving comments. And one of the things you realized, uh, you know, and the idea was uh, to convince the board not to put up this Carvana Tower, which is going to result in bird deaths because it's going to be lighted glass, 14 stories 14 tall. 14 stories, the tallest one they've got. Some mitigation, bird mitigation, not enough, according to the experts, uh, right across from Harms Woods, which is one of the gems of the uh, Cook County Forest Preserve District. Um, so it's basically Old Orchard Road and the Edens just west. Yeah, and um, and they're not even going to turn off the lights facing the freeway as if birds aren't going to f- care <laughs> and fly across that way. Oh, no, don't yeah. worry. And what I didn't realize, some of the things I didn't realize, one of the things I didn't realize was that there was a pact about billboards on the Edens. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that. Yep. I was ignorant. No billboards on the Edens. Yeah, and, and, I, and I didn't realize it until... That meeting and and now thinking of driving on the Edens, yeah, you're right. You don't see billboards. This is a violation of that. Clear. This is a clear violation. It makes me wonder. Now, is that just a Skokie pact, or was that a pact among various communities there? I think I think it's all along there for a variety of reasons. Well, it seems to me you could take make the argument that you're violating that pact because that's a billboard. I'm sorry, folks, because it's going to say Carvana at the top of it, right? And um, lit. And be lit up. Um, but so I didn't know that. Um, it's next, to, very close to the Holocaust Museum, second largest Holocaust Museum in the country. So that's a real that's close a, to the Skokie Lagoons corridor. It's an insult to that. Um, and the other thing I didn't realize is the way politics are set up in. In Skokie, and 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 on my one of my uh, posts I had on uh, on Facebook, uh, 
Um, one of our uh, listeners and, and viewers posted a blog post from um, and uh, from Irv Levitt, and, 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 it's, and it's just from December of last year mm-hmm. about uh, how the uh, Skokie Caucus Party has run the village since 1965. They allow parties in Skokie. And the caucus party um, has basically been the party that everybody elects, which has sent the voting rates down to nothing. I mean, Yeah, under 10%, should, I think it's Right. Said. It says the turnout is under 10%, sometimes well under, because um, it's, it's one party rule. Uh, it's like it's like the the Politburo there. There they are in Skokie. Uh, there was a whopping eleven percent turnout for last spring's election, um, and and there one independent got on uh, because of a scandal uh, on one of the candidates. So the candidate had to drop out. The independent mm-hmm. came in and got voted in, and he was the and one he, lone vote the, against the one dissenting vote, yeah. right? Uh, so I didn't know that. I mean, and it's and it's interesting that uh, uh, that is the situation. And unfortunately, the next election isn't until 2025. But uh, one of the uh, folks there um, said, uh, we have memories. We have long memories and uh, we will not forget this. So um, it, it was one of the things you realized at the meeting after the meeting is that the vote has was preordained. The testimony wasn't going to make any difference at all, um, and that is a, that's a problem. If 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 your elected officials um, are not listening to you, so um, I was, but I was just moved by the people who testified and how passionate they were. Uh, about this, and and by the way, I want to thank Eric, Eric Bedofsky, who was the one who posted that uh, blog post by Irv Levitt about the voting in Skokie, because I, I didn't know that. Irv says he didn't know that, um, and he lives in Skokie. So, um, uh, so now we have another meeting on the twenty second. I don't think anything's going to change. I forget exactly what they're going to be determining, but um, WTTW uh, Patty Wetley wrote about her headline was Carvana made a lot of promises to appease opponents of its 14 story glass tower. What's to hold the company to them. And the more you, and, and my friend uh, Janet Ginsburg sent me a bunch of stuff about Carvana, Carvana uh, about the sketchiness of the company and, um, and how the, uh, because the transactions are online, a lot of that money is not going to go to Skokie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and on and on and on. The whole, yeah, the whole putting thing putting up is, another one of these towers in Schomburg, and I haven't heard a word about it. Well, maybe that's the next one. Let's see what Forest Preserve that one's next to. Um, well, and, and and you keep looking at this is a, ga- a gimmick. It's a fad. It's a mm-hmm. five years from now. Is that going to be sitting there empty? You're the one who said we're going to look at that in five years and go say, oh, that was oh so 2021. You know. Um, yeah, it yeah, is. It's, it's a gimmick because most of the cars they deliver are not via the tower. I don't even know why they have the tower. 
you're you're right. It's it's just a stupid gimmick. Um. So, yikes. Uh, um. Ah. Yeah. But um, it 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 was an eye opener for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Believe me, I think there's going to be repercussions for this because uh, um, a lot of folks were were kind of stunned. <laughs> uh, me. Um. So. Uh, we got a bunch of other stuff here that we wanted to talk about. Uh, Bell Bowl, anything to update? Well, Bell Bowl had about... a, Yeah, there's a meeting um, this week that I think uh, I'm going to be going to. I've been invited to. Um, let me find that. I'm sorry, I don't have that. It's that. the Save Bell Bowl Prairie. Yeah, it's the Parks and Cham- Yeah, exactly. If you want more information, go to... Uh, um, uh, SaveBellBullPrairie.org. Uh, there's a Parks Chamber event uh, this Wednesday uh, where the board is going to be speaking, the, the airport board at uh, Chicago Rockford International Airport. And there's going to be a couple of table, tables there uh, uh, sponsored by Sinisippi Audubon Society. Uh, and they've invited me to come and sit with them. Um, and I don't know if anything's going to be accomplished, but the idea is to have a presence mm-hmm. and, and talk to people, talk to the people who are there about what's going on and why the prairie is so important. Um, um, and, uh, who knows what's going to happen, but I know a lot of folks have been writing to the governor and writing mm-hmm. to our state senators are not our state senators, but our our two senators, national, national senators. Um, and I, I think it's on Pritzker's radar, but whether he'll do anything is... Uh, 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 that seems to be the only thing that's going to make a difference at this I point. Don't, I don't, frankly, yeah, I don't think either Durbin or Duckworth is going to step up and do anything. I think that's Pritzker's job. they can. They can. I'm sorry. They can. They, you know, if you I, want, I, I just meant if it would hold weight. It would hold weight. They're senators. They're U.S. senators. That's that's what I have to say about that. If 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 you think if Dick Durbin picked up the phone and called some of the folks in charge and said, "You really need to stop this. You need really need to slow this down," they're going to say, "No." Do you really? Well, I'm I'm I'm. I guess I'm coming from the fact that the four federal agencies named in the lawsuit have all said well that might be why durbin does not pick up the phone mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying uh but i can't imagine why this cannot be slowed down mm-hmm. that's that's the point i think right now the bulldozers are scheduled to be fired up on march 1st and you know what i think they'll do it i think they'll do it on that day just to say just to shove it in people's faces and say, we can do this. We can do pretty much anything we want because we have the money. We have the power. We control the land um, there. You know, the latest thing is the bullying tactics from the, uh, the airport authority to uh, the natural land Institute saying, you know, we're going to uh, put, put you on the hook for the legal expenses. Cause we're going to uh, accuse you of filing a frivolous lawsuit. 
And then you're going to be, you know, frivolous, you know, as if saving species is, is frivolous. Um, they're, they're playing hardball. They've been playing hardball from the get-go, from, you know, uh, October, November. It's, there's been no indication that they're willing to speak to anybody. They're not even interested. No, no. They and don't Domenico's want to talk. pointing out it's federal tax dollars the airport needs. Yeah. Uh, and there's and there's uh, state money as well that could be put into new plans. And by the way, D- Domenico has, you know, it's so confusing because uh, and some groups say, well, there's no alternative plans. Well, we've had Domenico on the show, Domenico D'Alessandro, who's an architect, a landscape architect, and has come up with alternate plans mm-hmm. um, for that area. Now, that it's not nothing official. It, you know, the, the airport authority hasn't even looked at them, but don't say there are no alternatives because... Domenico has has done many of them. In fact, he keeps revising hours, them every every hours, time he yeah. gets more information. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's and, doing it on his own time and his own dime. Yeah, and it's it's not just this, but it's the overall expansion plans for the airport, going into floodplains, affecting the river, everything else. It's not just this little bit of prairie. And Domenico, I know you're watching and you're, you're commenting here. Um, as far as I know... The grand plan has is still not been seen by anybody. We have no idea how this extends into the future. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but as far as I know, the airport authority is keeping this close to the vest. So they're not they're not transparent. They're um, they're not willing to engage. So um, I, I I hate to be a pessimist. It doesn't look good. Is the way I would say because having having looked at Skokie, and and other things that I've seen in the past, and you know, and I wonder about the Lincoln um, Yards. Lincoln Yards. Oh my goodness! Lincoln Yards was an opportunity to change the world. All right, and and set up something that folks had never seen before in in an indoor. Or I'm sorry, uh, an in city. Um, uh, natural area, but they just went for more metal and steel. I'm sorry, metal and glass and 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 concrete. Um, and and it's connected to the south side of Chicago. It's connected to you know the recycling uh, industry they're going to put there, and and to the uh, uh, waste dump on the mouth of the Calumet. These are all connected. These are all and 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 here is my response, Peggy. I finally. This is my response because I think all of these issues are connected, and this is the response we need to make. We've made too many compromises already, too many retreats. They invade our space, and we fall back. They assimilate entire worlds, and we fall back. Not again. The line must be drawn here, this far, no farther. That's how I feel about it. You know, at some point, where do you step up and say, the line must be drawn here. Um, enough. Enough is enough. Um, Doug Tallamy on our show was saying that we're, 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 we're pulling the rivets out of our own planet. And then it's, it's going to crumble into nothing. Um, and we don't even see it. It's in, in, the, in, in Prague, in the name of progress, Progress does us no good if there's no planet, if there's no species, if they're gone. 
if if the if the water is fouled, if the air is fouled, if climate uh, change is out of control, everything is unhealthy. It doesn't yes. do you any good to have progress. So, uh, okay. Uh, and Domenico yeah, the, says the, the, air, the airport authority is destroying the ecosystem and not even getting the airport they describe they need. The only plan the airport has shown is from 2013, he says. Okay, good. Thanks. See, so I wasn't wrong about that. All right, let's cut, let's uh, grab a couple of other headlines here. Uh, well, that are... should, should we go with something more positive than uh, koalas declared endangered species? Well, yeah, just so you know, koalas have been declared oh. uh, and there's avian flu in uh indiana tyson uh, foods is using land twice the size of new jersey to grow feed all, for all right all right i've got um, while while we're on that one okay they're using land twice the size of new jersey um to uh to grow crops to feed their factory farms okay so that got me thinking um why is it always the size of new jersey why are the comparisons I, I, um, a, a number of years ago when I was talking to folks about the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, um, I found a, uh, somebody had written that the dead zone is about is larger than the state of New Jersey. And I thought, OK, that's an odd thing to why Why New Jersey? Well, I go I go online yesterday because it 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 bugged me. And um, and I find uh, bizarre dog bone asteroid is bigger than New Jersey. Okay, um, size of Portugal bigger than compa- Newark. Size of Portugal compared to New Jersey. Um, Western wildfires have now burned an area bigger than you guessed it, New Jersey. New Jersey. What is it about New Jersey that is the the, the measuring stick? For everything that goes on in the world, I I do not understand that. How did New Jersey become the measuring stick? I don't know. Does Bruce Springsteen have something to do with that? I, it, I don't know, but everybody's always comparing things to New Jersey. All right, let me copy this because I want to put uh, I mention this because it's uh, give me two seconds here. Unless you got one, and you, you you're welcome to uh, boom from Live Science. Here we go. Uh, yeah, highly, um, highly pathogenic bird flu hits U.S. farm. This is in Indiana. What? I, I, I like the scientists gather uh, racing to gather winter data on the Great Lakes. Oh, that's something. A, all right. I'll just say that there's uh, um, 29,000 turkeys have been culled in Indiana because of the H5N1. Um. Keep an eye out, folks. All right, go ahead. So this was a piece that you had found from ABC News, February third. Uh, it was Science actually it was actually sent to me by by Andrew Fedorovsky. So we got to okay. give him a ding in credit. Yeah, scientists are racing to gather winter data on the warming Great Lakes as winter changes through the region. Scientists want to know what that means, and there's really not been a whole lot of um, research done on what's going on in, in the lakes in the wintertime. It's in the summer. So right now um, they're doing field studies across all five Great Lakes on Lake Michigan. It's up in Green Bay um, where they are going on to frozen sections of the lakes, doing a winter snapshot. 
uh, drilling through the ice to measure things like light levels at different depths, water movement, presence of carbon, bacteria, nutrients, um, looking at phosphorus overload in the wintertime. According to this article, there's even algae blooms that have been detected in Lake Erie's central basin during cold periods. Yeah, even in the cold. They're trying to figure out what's going on. All right, here's one more. It's kind of fun. Um, Trees are exploding in Texas. As seen uh, on IFL Science, Texas has been experiencing record temperature drops. This has been causing maple trees in Texas, and maybe Skeet knows more about this, maybe Dan does, to explode. People have reported these explosions to cause loud popping sounds similar to gunshots. And Master Arborist Stuart McKenzie explains that trees explode in cold weather because the water content in the cells and tissues freeze. We see it mostly on warm, sunny winter days and very cold nights that dip well below freezing. Maples tend to suffer from this phenomenon just before sugaring season. They will take up water quickly as the sun warms their bark and tissues. Sap will freeze and expand at night and crack. This can be heard during the late night hours. Some think it sounds like a shotgun or cannon. From midwinter to early spring, this can occur when the temperature swings. Snow melts and warm sun, cold nights work in unison. Maples, cherries, birch, and some pines can behave in this manner. So there you go. Exploding trees. There you go. Okay. Well, we got one other thing before we break. All right. On a good note from Sarah Botka, friend of the oh. show. Yay, Sarah. She, she writes, there's a seed swap on March 5th at the Evergreen Park Public Library from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. No need to register. Drop, just drop by and say hi to me, she says. All right. I like that. And uh, she's got the link there, too, as mm-hmm. well. All right, so meteorologist Rick DeMaio is coming up, but before that, one more time. We've made too many compromises already, too many retreats. They invade our space, and we fall back. They assimilate entire worlds, and we fall back. Not again. The line must be drawn here, this far, no farther. started seeing this really strange thing. A lot of people say an octopus is like an alien. But the strange thing is, as you get closer to them, you realize that you're very similar in a lot of ways. It's a hard thing to explain, but sometimes you just get a feeling and you know there's something to this creature that's very unusual. There's something to learn here. I had to have a radical change in my life. And the only way I knew to do it was to be in this ocean with her. And then I had this crazy idea. What happens if I just went every day? You start thinking. 
your own vulnerability, worried about your family, your child. I hadn't been a person that was overly sentimental towards animals before. I realized I was changing. My relationship with people, with humans, was changing. What she taught me was to feel that you're part of this place, not a visitor. That's a huge difference. Wow, that's some uh, great stuff. There's going to be some terrific films at the One Earth Film Festival this year. So uh, I, that that one, I'm definitely going to see that one. That that looks uh, so moving. Welcome, uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Mike and Peg. That was moving. Definitely on a Sunday morning. It kind of captures your breath, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um and uh, there's a lot of good stuff. We've been showing the film trailers uh, from the One Earth uh, over the last few weeks, and we're going to have an interview with one of the directors uh, or producers in the next uh, couple of weeks. So um, stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so here we are. I saw a light dusting of snow this morning um, as I uh, came downstairs. Not much. Oh, but I have something to show you that is is very cool now you'll you'll remember that several weeks ago we we saw mm-hmm. the pancake mm-hmm. ice okay right so here is what our friend mac austin sent us last week that i just could not believe in lake michigan oh, um, wow. that is ice balls mm-hmm. form um, and I and here's uh, several more pictures. I mean, it's just too cool. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. I I did not know the lake did that. She's got one more here, and this was up in Rogers Park, wh- just mm-hmm. a couple of blocks from where you used to live, Rick. Um, yeah. Um, and then you saw my photo from yesterday. That now these are all gone. Uh, right. Yeah. I've uh, I've I've got that too. Which is this hmm. is here's Peg's photo from yesterday which is a gorgeous photo but you've got uh, some ice along the lake and rick as you said that's a a good way to prevent erosion uh in the winter yeah i mean we quickly went back into a a very cold pattern um friday afternoon once we got um, or once that first polar front came through um in addition to that as peg pointed out most of that ice either melted or got pushed out into the middle of the lake uh, with southwest winds. And we've seen to be in that pattern. You go southwest for a couple of days, you lose everything, and then you go uh, slightly northerly. And especially that area from about Wilmette southward where the, the lake kind of angles out a little bit, um, mm-hmm. it's very easy to get lake uh, ice piling up, um, generally south of Highland Park. Um and yeah, two things, so we're still uh, up on that, like that little bite, that indentation. Yeah, and and another thing is that the wind is always a little bit stronger, um, two or three miles offshore. Uh, just you know, the friction of the surface and right along the shoreline, it tends to slow down. So what happens is the wind actually turns inward a little bit, 
So you'll almost get this like speed divergence into the lake and then convergence right along the lakefront. So the wind actually turns towards the shore. That's one of the reasons why you'll get those winds kind of blowing in like that, even during the springtime. And that will drag the surface uh, water. Um, whether or not it causes the rolling uh, that creates the ice falls, that's probably more of something that's happening, you know, in the smaller areas of the um, of the little inlets and harbors that you have from like, you know, Jarvis Beach southward. You have all these little pockets of water that kind of move around. Doesn't that have something to do with the ice going up and down vertically in the lake too? I'm trying to remember yeah, how those yeah. work. I, I think if anything, if you just water that's going back and forth, you'll get the pancake. But if it starts to go up and down on those little inlets, you'll begin to take the edges and kind of roll them around on the on the front side. So it's almost like like taking your hand and doing like that. Your your you know large thing of dough for pizza will probably just get flat on one yeah. side. But then you start to do that and up and down. Yeah. Kind of like hail going up and down too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only way hail can really get round uh, is for it to be thrown up and down and then sideways. And then obviously it's moving through a lot of water as well. So the water um, kind of helps uh, reshape the edges. Um, and then sometimes you'll get these like like little tails to it. So you can always tell the severity of a thunderstorm uh, by the nature of the size of the hail and the shape of the hail as well. But yeah, those, those, those pictures, the ice balls is pretty cool. You know, yeah, um, there is a thanks, Mac, uh, for yeah. sending those. Yeah, thanks for sending yeah. that to us, Mac. Yeah, there's actually uh, a, a study going on this week by I think four or five different universities across all of the Great Lakes, studying the nature of ice, the shape of ice, the volume of the ice, um, the aerial coverage of ice. Um, I think that story was published last week or about a week and a half ago attributed on last week last week's weekly weather wire um and what's really interesting is usually right around the uh fifth to about the 10th of february uh is when you generally tend to get your highest concentration of ice that covers all the great lakes um and it was really interesting because just last week i was talking to my loyola students about how you can't look at just the surface area of ice you have to look at the thickness um and Enough, a lot of ice on the lake to basically none, and that was because the ice was so thin. So you were able to blow it around a lot more uh, mm -hmm. due to the fact that the wind was out of the southwest. So it was kind of neat to be able to not only talk about it from a standpoint of current analysis, but basically stand in my classroom and look out the window and, and show them. <laughs> so that, that makes it really easy to prove a point. Yeah, can can I hop real quick back into this? On I, I looked up yeah, the ice yeah. balls on Lake Michigan. Oh, okay. This is just a couple articles here. Like it's it's fairly rare. Um, really? Okay. According to this one article, which was Detroit News, actually, um, they form on beaches when weather conditions are just right. The temperatures fall just below freezing along shallow beaches. Slush collects into round shapes, and the waves sculpt the ice chunks into orbs. Yeah, and I, and I think it's more important to realize that it needs to go up and down so you can get that, the, so the flatness has got to go more vertical, both, you know, uh, up and down. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, I always tell people, um, 
you know, even if you live two miles away from the lake, uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to go down to the lake to actually see things during the wintertime. Most people go, I ain't going anywhere outside or along the lakefront. It's too cold. Um, but it actually really cool to be able to see this, um, yeah. you know, in such a large city. And speaking of large cities, this webcam from Beijing, I show this to my students every day. And again, wow. when we talk about uh, emissions and you know, the burning of coal, I, I show this and they go, oh my God. <laughs> and then, and then not, not to bash China, but if you show uh, webcams from other parts of the area, you know, in and around uh, China, this is not around China. No, um, <laughs> that's what I have. Although, although, although Chinatown's not far away from this webcam. <laughs> um, um, oh boy. It, it, the air quality is not that bad. So it's, it's not, Bad in China. It's just bad in a lot of the areas where you have, um, you know, large populations of people. So again, if someone wants to say Chicago is a dirty city, show them a webcam of, of Beijing and show them of Chicago, and uh, we got them beat by a mile. And it's not that, and it's not that China or Beijing doesn't have the ability to have these, you know, cold Arctic air masses move in and clear the stuff out. They do. Uh, matter of fact, they get just as cold. Um, as us sometimes, but it, it doesn't help in, in washing out the soot um, and the pollution that that city, um, unfortunately, continues to have. And uh, something else that you sent us, which was kind of uh, cool, uh, and I guess you sent it uh, to your um, students as well, is the information about electric cars, which was uh, pretty fascinating about how the uh, the number of electric cars this year is going to go up uh, quite a bit, um, but they're still playing catch up. You know, you and I are old enough, uh, and Peggy, all three of us, old enough to know when um, there were active efforts to suppress the uh, uh, the electric cars in the United States. There's a famous movie about mm-hmm. that uh, from the 80s. Who and, killed uh, the electric car? Who killed the electric car? Exactly. And if we had been right. on top of that from the beginning, we wouldn't be scrambling now and trying to figure out how do we make this transition. Yeah, and you know, I was at the I was at the auto show last night. Um, and by the way, it's only half the size. Um, that's because they just don't have enough cars. But every single company that was out there, not a dealership, there obviously the companies had an EV. Every every one has an electric vehicle, um, and and that and that is that is what everybody is is talking about. Um, and it's pretty cool. And you see people get inside, and they go. Wow, this is really cool. And the first thing everybody wants to know is what's the range of the vehicle? And then people hear, well, 250, 280, 300, and they go right away, they go, oh, that's not very far. But if you fill up your, your gas in your car, your range is usually about 275 to about 300. It, it really yeah. is the same. Mm-hmm. The, only, the only problem is, is that you've got to realize that there's not as many uh, charging stations across the country. Um, and there's also different driver habits that will lower uh, that range. In other words, if you get an electric vehicle all-wheel drive, um, that bring the numbers down. Um, if you're driving aggressively, that's going to bring the numbers down. Same thing when you're driving a car with you know combustible engine, but the bottom line is um, you have to be a little bit more aware of where you're driving, um, and where the plug-in, you know, capability is. So I think once that happens, 
Um, and then they begin to obviously produce more of these, especially trucks now. You're seeing Ford producing the F1, the Lightning, I think it's called. The prices will come down. So the prices are still a little bit high compared to other vehicles. Uh, but in the end, if you're not paying for gas, and gas right now is almost $4 a gallon in a lot of places, uh, not only are you doing great for the environment, but you're also doing great uh, for your pocketbook. So it's always going to be one of these things where it's like baby steps. It's like, you know, 10 years ago, people were buying flat screen TVs and they were 5000 Now you can get one for under 1000 bucks. Um, you can get a, oh my gosh, you could get one for two fifty. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's probably, it's probably not going to last you a long time, but you're, you're right, Mike. I mean, the overall price of these vehicles, um, is eventually going to come down. Now you got to be, because, um, they're not completely off the grid. You know, you're still using coal, uh, to generate electricity. So sure. depending on where the electricity is coming from, you're not completely zero emissions. So, yeah. Plus, um, plus the, the 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 components are still, and 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 things like this uh, in that New York Times article. By the way, those photos were from the New York Times. Uh, there are fewer than fifty thousand public charging stations. That might seem like a lot in the United States, but uh, the infrastructure bill that Congress passed in November includes seven point five billion dollars for five hundred thousand new chargers. Although experts say even that number no. is too small. And, uh, Domen- right. and Domenico writes um, uh, in our chat room, electric cars were around in 1927, complete with recharge station, then the oil boom came. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're always going to find some things that are for or against something. But the bottom line is, um, at least we have an administration in place that understands uh, progress will help an economy a lot more uh, than going back and try to make things, you know, quote, great again, just because we were comfortable with that. So, um, and, and again, this is one of the things that I have to deal with with my climate change class is keeping up with all the information out there so that the, the students come out of a class more than what they did. I mean, uh, so it's good for me because I get to learn about it. Um, I went around to all the different, you know, car places that I was, that I was at the show last night with. Um, you know, going to and asking them questions and see how much they knew about it. You know, I asked them, like, what's the carbon footprint? Um, how much are we off the grid? And they probably didn't know half of the answers to the questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are the things that eventually will separate people going, yes, I want to get this or no. All right. Yeah. So what they really need to start doing is not just having a car there, but showing where the charging stations are now and then where they're going to be. Um, so, and, and I, I think I also the, updating, sorry to jump in there, updating the information yeah, because many people have a five-year-old, a 10-year-old impression in their heads. It's, you know, it's the same thing with nutrition. It's the same thing with environment, it's right. the same thing with whatever they're going off of right. old beliefs and old knowledge. Yeah. And, and quickly. you know, for a while it was miles per gallon on, and then for a while it was how much feet and how much horsepower you have. Um, what's the size of your engine? Everybody kind of follows the same like lead and stuff. Um, and I didn't see anything that was really different last mm-hmm. night, uh, but just about every every electric car always had around it like 
potted plants <laughs> and some sort of green oh, shade. Oh yeah, the- yeah, marketing. Oh, yeah, marketing. A, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and of yeah, course, all the like- all the people at the at the show. Uh, you as you went to each of the different companies, the one who you just come from was was texting their friends at the other one saying, "Oh, that guy's coming over. Go get a cup of coffee." Because he- <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I don't. I yeah, usually tell them that the door handle is too close yeah. to my elbow or the screen is too big. You guys got to change something. Uh, but I, I always, I mean, I always go to the auto show with a purpose, and that is to enjoy it without having to go to a dealership with them pressing you, you know, on do you want to buy the car? Um, so, yeah. yeah. And so, again, so when people go to the auto show, make sure you're asking them questions like the range um, and how often do I have to fill up? And well, and and, and Deborah, uh, Deb uh, writes in our chat room, the consideration also is the length of time it takes to recharge an EV. What's the waiting time, uh, you know, for a line to do that? And that's the other thing. You can fill up a, a gas tank uh, in a matter of minutes, and it might not be the case with the yeah. charging a car. So yeah. you have to plan around charging an EV. Uh, these are, but that's all yeah. going to become and, and second what nature. All these cars stuck at the side of the road because they didn't plan, or they're stuck in traffic jams. That's got to get worked out. Yeah. And then post something interesting. Um, she says, "What she never sees is the information on the literal how-to. What am I going to do with my current car when there's no secondary market anymore for internal combustion, for instance?" I think that's probably years down the road, yeah. but um, they're actually, you know planning on putting things in cars like these little fans on the bottom so that when you're driving, the fans actually generate, you know, electricity that actually, you know, helps charge the engine. You're going little fans are actually doing that. Um, I, I think that I learned something also when you're braking, the, something with the brake is actually generating um, uh, some sort of, you know, additional charge as well. Uh, but I know that over yeah. the last five years, the main Tesla yeah. S, uh, I think you can get like another 15 to 20, like less than 10 minutes or something like that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too sure about it. But the thing about it is, from my perspective, as soon as you talk about it, it almost makes you seem like an expert. So if you're going to learn a little bit about it, you got to learn a lot about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But at the same time, uh, just going electric doesn't mean you're completely off the grid. And I think that's the key thing here. And then on top of that as well, if you do end up um, all of a sudden trying to figure out how to generate more electricity, um, how are we doing that? You know, is, is the demand for coal increasing? Is demand for natural gas increasing? Uh, all those things. So these are always things to talk about. Um, and, you know, that's that's why you have progress is to figure out how to get better without – you know, spending too much or not being sustainable at the same time as well. But what I think everybody is waiting yeah. for is to see the meteorological map of China because they're so interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is actually the forecast chart uh, from the um, uh, from the South Korea Meteorological Agency. Um, I think everybody can see the Korean Peninsula. And then when you go to the left a little bit, uh, you see the obviously you know China and all those yellow um, highlight um, uh, stations. Uh, those that's all haze. That's all haze. Wow. And that's all fog. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you when you get those big highs and there's nothing to really to move the air around. Yeah. Um, further north, where it's much much uh, colder, those are temperatures all about twenty to thirty degrees below zero. Um, 
those that's that's all Siberia at that point. To that area, there's really no people living there. You don't really have much going on. But man, as soon as you cross over that border from Russia into Mongolia and then south into China, everything changes. Uh, the good news is that there's that little teeny that little L. Um, is actually going to produce about one to two inches of snow um, in that particular area. But um, yeah, here's how about this total snowfall? <laughs> you don't see maps like this too often, do you? Uh, but this actually is a forecast that I generated off of one of the models. Uh, total snow for the next seven days for the for the Olympics um, is basically less than one inch. And again, that area gets less than an inch of moisture in a three month period of time. So it still is to me. It boggles my mind that that Beijing was granted the Winter Olympics. I mean, last last Olympics was in South Korea <clears throat> in Pyongyang. Um, I think that's what it was. But but they get quite a bit of snow there. And then the Winter Olympics have been in uh, Nagano and Sapporo, which is northern Japan. They get three inch, three inch, inches a year because they get a lot of what's called sea effect snow. It's like it's like having the Olympics in Marquette, Michigan. Um, why don't yeah, they, I think they need to go to Marquette, Mich Mich Michigan and do the, that's about the only place on the planet. They're going to be able to do that in 10 years. Uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, whether or not they can support all those people in that small town, no, they, sure could. they can't, they can. cool. I yeah, don't think so. I think, yeah, the, the mountains up there, the porcupine mountains, probably not tall enough, but, um, it is, it is kind of, a, I mean, it is really an amazing area for snow. You're never lacking snow. So so, yeah, so um, a little bit of snow for the Olympics, but other than that, um, status quo from the standpoint of it being cold. You mentioned in your report, Rick, that you thought we'd be getting some snow. Last night on one of the, the weathercasts on TV, the the guy said, uh, it it's, looks like it's going to kind of just sideswipe us. What's the situation right now? I did watch someone this morning on Channel 7. He went bonkers. Mm. Meaning, meaning that he went way overboard in showing the northward track of of the sport of the of the GFS. Now, three runs of the GFS, which is the Global Forecast System, have been in the system south. So we've only had one run that has taken it north, and it's called hook, line, and sinker. With with this is what's going to happen. Now, it's okay to be a cheerleader in snow; we all do it. But you got to exercise a little bit of restraint. Um, literally based off computer models from last night. All right. So I wouldn't. Up, so it's a there? long way off. All I can think it's of is I, I wouldn't want to be a meteorologist having another meteorologist watch me on TV. <laughs> well, I, this guy is pretty good. And I was kind of like curious that he went far forward with something. Because what, what also happens is you end up shoehorning the other people at your station. So an unwritten rule ah. that you don't go nuts on on pushing stuff um, because what, what ends up happening is then everybody starts to ask the other people who are coming on board, hey, I heard this is going to happen. If you see something different and it shifts south, now you look, now everybody looks to be like, now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? Now it's going to happen. So you got to be really careful about that. And it's, it's not so much about being right, but it's about being responsible because everybody is, you know, kind of in on the same forecast. But the pattern is somewhat progressive in nature. And I think this is the best way to look at these forecast maps is this is the overall liquid. 
Um, and even if we get, say, only 25% of this in the form of snow, you're still talking about three or four inches. So we're going to get snow. The question is, are we going to get that much or maybe, you know, that much? That's why you got to be really careful about going, you know, overboard. You know, we were talking earlier in the show um, about uh, this winter and, and people, as they do in February, start complaining uh, how cold it is and they really want it to end. And Peggy and I were just noting that it really hasn't been a, a tough winter at all. Not really. It's, it's been uh, pretty mild. There's no long yeah, sub-zeros or anything. Oh, this is really funny. I was looking at the new Mustang, um, the e-vehicle, <laughs> and, and it's the, the only way to open up the car, well, the, the main way of opening up the car is this little, you know, little round button that you have to press, um, and it's above the handle. And I, I was talking to the person who was showing it to me, the product specialist, and I go, you realize that the handle here is going to catch snow. And if you get a lot of snow and ice on the way the car is shaped, um, the, the button's going to get covered with snow and ice. So you won't Oops. be able to touch it. And, it, you know, it won't feel the heat of your hand. And she goes, well, most people will be in a car inside their, their garage. I'm like, okay, well, what happens if you're out driving and you park and you get sleazy rain, you go out there and, and you can't. She goes, well, you can you can use your phone to warm up the car ahead of time. And I'm like, I feel like I'm talking to a brick. Like you're not getting it. The way this is designed, you're going to you're going to allow the cars, you know, the, 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 the support beam to allow that button to get covered up. You need to have it either under the handle or a way that it's not going to accumulate ice and snow in it. And not everybody, right and not everybody lives in the suburbs and has a garage. Okay, <laughs> you know, or, or lives in the suburbs and doesn't have a garage either. Right. Yeah. It, it, and I was like, well, what happens if you're sitting outside? She goes, well, you can use your your phone to warm up the car ahead of time. I'm like, really? <laughs> All right. So, and, uh, so you know how you leave your phone in the car in the sun too long and it doesn't work. How about this button know, on the car in the sun? Yeah, yeah. I love I'm, it. I'm the, I'm the worst person. Where's that guy? Get away from me. I'm telling you, that's uh, why I they get a were. Year old car, so they're 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 out there. Right. They're they're texting their buddies and going, "Hey, that guy's coming down here. Don't don't <laughs> don't talk to him. Don't talk to him at all. You'll just go crazy." Yeah. All right, Rick, you gonna uh, be playing the hockey again this week? I don't know. My bones are a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't worry about it. All right, you 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 uh, have yourself a, a great week, and uh, we will talk to you uh, next Sunday. As always, take care, guys. All right, take care. See you, Rick. That's uh, that's a wrap, as they say. So uh, let's thank uh, all the folks who were on the show today: Ryan Anderson from Midwest Grows Green, and Jody Whitaker from the Chicago Alliance for Animals, uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. I want to thank Kathleen, who was really good at keeping my coffee warm, and who I think was actually the the person behind this, not not Legata. But I want to thank Legata and Basil the dog, and all of our uh, listeners and followers. Um, you subscribe guys, on our YouTube channel, download you got, the podcast, and subscribe. You guys are the best. Until next time, go green or go home. Stadler, uh, what? I hope I can find this control. I don't know where this is. It's going to do it. Help. Well, you didn't miss much.